0: And we are official. Hi. Uh, so I get the wonderful pleasure of getting to talk to one of my favorite writers, Hank Phillippe Ryan, whose new book, The Murder List, is out on August 20th, which is next week from when we're recording this. Hank, how are you doing today?
1: I am so nervous and so excited and so thrilled. You know, having a new book come out is always nerve-wracking, um, it's sort of a balance of being thrilled. I mean, here's this book that I love, and people get to read it, and then I think, oh my gosh, people are going to read it. Oh, you know. <laughs> so, um, and I, you would think after eleven books that that sort of nerve nervousness and apprehensiveness would vanish, but I think it increases. You know, there's always this challenge to be better, 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 and. You know, the, when the book comes out is the moment.
0: Uh, yeah, and then also you're in the middle of working on the next book, which you probably almost finished as well.
1: Would that that were true? Yes, there it is. The first draft. <laughs> I'm in first draft itis of going through the first draft of um, the new book, which comes out this time next year, which I cannot believe. Um, and sometimes I have. I, I'm thinking wow, this is really good. And other times I'm thinking, whose idea was this? You know, oh my golly, who thought I could ever write a book? So you know how it is. So um, oh, that's yes. the joy of being an author, right?
0: Definitely. Yes. Well, let's talk about uh, the new book. Um, it's called The Murder List. What's it about? Well, it's
1: Interesting, because I have been a television reporter, let me just say this quickly, I've been a television reporter for 43 years now, and I've wired myself with hidden cameras and confronted corrupt politicians and gone undercover and in disguise and chased down criminals, so, you know, been in riots and tear gas and at murder scenes, so, but, so it's interesting to think that the idea for the murder list came at the kitchen table. You know, which is such an odd thing. My husband is a criminal defense attorney, and we were talking about a case that he was working on, a, some a murder case where he was defending the um, person who was charged with murder. And I started sort of musing about, you know, what a good guy he is. You know, he's just such a good guy. Here's a seems like a hopeless case and yet he's standing up for the little guy and he's just he's just so good you know protecting the rights of the individual i'm you know i'm so proud to be married to him and then i started thinking about the prosecutor's wife you know sitting across town listening to her prosecutor husband talking about the same case and i wondered you know was she thinking, what a good guy he is. You know, he's standing up for justice and bringing the bad guys in and, you know, protecting the public and all this sort of stuff. What a good guy he is. And I started thinking about the concept of good. You know, what is good and what is being a good guy and how different it is for a defense attorney and a prosecutor Uh, to handle the same murder case. You know, they're each telling this powerful story, but it's the opposite story. And I wondered what it would be like for a law student to have to, and this is just how the book began, um, wondered what it would be like for a law student at the moment where they're really deciding I'm, am I going to be a defense attorney and stand up for the little guy, no matter how hopeless it seems, because they're innocent till proven guilty, and by golly, we are going to make them prove it, or be a prosecutor who's you know, righteously bringing miscreants to justice? And it's a certain mindset, you know. It's a mindset that you have, how you want to be. And so that's where I started thinking about that triangle the triangle of a young law student and a powerful prosecutor and a brilliant defense attorney and how that triangle could go together and what that would mean and so the murder list and ask me what that is in a minute because I'll forget Um,
0: that's the next question (laughs) the
1: murder okay the murder how brilliant of you really Jeff the um, the murder list is really a powerful prosecutor and a brilliant defense attorney, doing what they think is battling for the legal soul of a young law student. Um, but you know, I always call my books Trojan horses. You, they, what they are on the outside is not what they are on the inside, and I think that's what the murder list is as well. So it's a murder mystery, and it's a legal thriller, um, and it's a puzzle. And that is how 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 brilliant of me to write a book that I can't. Talk about <laughs> so much, <rather. laughs> but I guess all well, mysteries are like that. All mysteries are like that.
0: Well, you're right. Uh, so, what is a murder list? Since you well, that.
1: Well, you know, I try to make all my books have titles that mean more than one thing, as you well know. Trust me, the last book, um, everybody said trust me to each other, and you, you didn't really know who to trust. When someone says trust me, um, that just makes you instantly not trust them. The murder list, at the at its core, at its at, in its actual meaning, is a list of lawyers in Massachusetts. At least they're called the murder list. Lawyers are lawyers who are experienced enough. And benevolent enough to handle um, murder cases of uh, criminals, supposed criminals, defendants who um, can't afford a lawyer, because in a in a situation like that, the highest of high stakes. When you're charged with murder, um, Massachusetts feels that. the the representation that that uh, an accused murderer has, no matter how much money they have, should be of equal prestige and equal experience and equal knowledge. So the lawyer has to have handled murder cases in the past and also has to be benevolent because the amount of money that they get paid for these cases is just a tiny, tiny fraction of what they would get paid in an ordinary case. So... A murder list lawyer is a serious good guy in defense attorney world because they're going to give up what might be an otherwise lucrative case to you know to battle for justice, and that's what the murder list is. The murder list could also be you know a list of things you need to know about, a list of things you need to commit a murder. It might be a list of people. Who um, are on someone's uh, hit list to be murdered? It might be it might be the clients. You know, one of the people in my book talks about how their murder list is the list of um, defendants, murder defendants that they've represented and gotten acquitted. So it could mean, it can mean a lot of things but things but at its at its core is reality my husband is on the murder list my husband Jonathan is on the murder list in Massachusetts um, and that's where that idea sprang from okay. but it's sinister yeah. you know don't you think it's a it's a sinister it's a sinister title because you know it means something bad has happened again and again and again and will and that someone figures um, it'll happen again in the future.
0: Well, and I also was thinking along lines of, like, if you were a hit man and you keep a list of all your victims... Sure, 100%.
1: Something?
0: Yeah, yeah. Or,
1: or targets. Not only victims, right. but targets. And I think, right. you know, the murder list might be a list of targets as well, which makes it even more um, compelling and sinister.
0: The, the title is perfect for this book. Um, I'm curious, and you mentioned your husband is an attorney... And that sort of maybe answers the question, but the last couple of books, you've been diving more into the legal world than you have in the past. And I was just wondering, is this sort of the new trend for you?
1: Oh, that's interesting. You I mean, the legal world is, as opposed to the journalism world. Right. Um, you know, I think it's a point of view question. You know, it's interesting because my books. Start with the plot i know it's cooler to say they start with the character but i will break all the rules now and say you know my books start with a gem a, you know a gorgeous little core of a thing that nobody else has ever done before and then i find the, the the people to be in that story and then the people the characters then drive the story um as i loved that my starred library library journal review calls it a riveting character-driven story, because that's how they have to evolve. But it starts with plot. It starts with plot. So as a reporter, a reporter is on the outside looking into a murder trial, right? They can only report what they see and what they're told. But they don't really know um, unless someone tells them what goes on behind the scenes and what someone tells a reporter may or may not be true. So that's the fun part about writing a reporter book. You know, the, the reporter main character is having to decide whether someone is telling the truth about what's happening in a murder case or in a trial or in a courtroom or behind the scenes. So I thought, what if I turned the prism and I was on the inside looking out you know, what if I make myself be, make myself being the author, the point of view of the character in the murder trial, handling the murder trial, from each side of the murder trial, as a, as a prosecutor and as a defense attorney, how would that feel different? And then how would they present that If a reporter was covering it, how would they present that to the reporter? So it's a cool point of view shift for me. And um, luckily, as my husband, as as I told you, is a lawyer. It's fun to have in-house counsel. Um, because whenever I had a legal question, I would just call my husband and say, sweetheart, it's the legal question of the day, and then he would tell me how it really works. So I've been so thrilled and gratified to hear from lawyers who have read this book saying, you know, that it's exactly right that they've they've been in that very situation or they couldn't believe that I had nailed, you know, know, even the – The relationship between defense attorney and prosecutor I mean at some point in a murder trial those two entities the prosecutor and the defense attorney they hate each other I mean that is that is as bitter and malevolent as anyone could possibly be because the stakes are high and each side really wants to win, and and that is a huge motivation um, for lawyers to win. And that's one of the things that I loved looking into in the murder list as well. Is that really it's about winning? Lawyers will talk about having a winnable case is a good case. You know, if you say what's a good case to a lawyer, they say they look at you know they look at you and say, well, winnable you know that's what they want it's all about winning so when when a situation becomes all about winning then it's really fascinating to get into the lawyer's point of view and the lawyer's head and the lawyer's motivation to to figure out how far they'll go to win you know you can go pretty far um to to affect a verdict and 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 ha- some of it is some of, it is, some of it is fair, and some of it may not be so fair. And that's really chilling.
0: Where's justice fit into that?
1: I mean, that is the good question, isn't it? Where does justice fit into that? Because what is justice? You know, justice for someone, I mean, for us, you know, regular people, justice is that the, the right person is convicted of a crime. Um, but... When a person is charged with murder, the prosecution um, has to feel satisfied that they have charged the right person. I mean, what a big burden that is for them. And, you know, you've seen trials and you've covered trials and we all have been involved in them. And you know how um, focused and laser-like the prosecution is on their version of justice, which is a conviction. When in real life, justice may just as be just be as much about an acquittal so we think of justice as being that the right thing happens right because we're objective about it but once you're a defense attorney or a prosecutor it's you know you can be objective um, in, in the privacy of your own head but in court you are driven to prove the point that you're trying to make. And that's how justice works. And that's why there's the jury system, right? That's the best thing that, that the, we've been able to come up with is that you get 12 people who you hope their sense of justice and fair play and adherence to the law balances enough to counteract the two stories they've been, you know, hearing for the past however long the trial is. Right, you, we rely on that, and then. But if you think about the foibles of twelve people on a jury and what their real motivations might be, you know, then what happens?
0: Yeah, that, no, that's a good point. Oh my, oh my goodness.
1: <laughs> well, it's interesting, isn't it? It's fascinating because yeah, that's why definitely. we love. That's why we love crime fiction, and that's why the murder list, you know, sort of is the essence of crime fiction because i mean i just thought of this but you know uh, each lawyer is creating a story which is which is fiction based on facts right they take the facts of the case and they make it be the best story they can be the prosecutor does that and the defense attorney does that a story based on facts but they're two different stories and that's what my characters in the murder list are relying on that there are different ways of looking at exactly the same event so rachel north the young law student who's married to Jack Kirkland, the powerful defense attorney, and Rachel also has a summer job as an intern in Martha Gardner's office, the the powerful prosecutor. So we have one young woman one experienced woman, one experienced man. And that's a triangle where the alliances could go either way. Is it Jack and Rachel? Is it Rachel and Martha? Is it Martha and Jack? You know, how, how are those, how, how, do, how do the lines of those tri- of that triangle connect? And what is, you know, what would happen if, it, if the triangle was tilted another way? What would happen? And that was one of, you know, I don't use an outline, so that was one of the joys of writing the book is, who really was involved with who and what did they really want from each other and what were their, what were their goals really? And that all evolved um, to my great delight as, as as the book was being written.
0: I cannot believe you don't outline, especially there. Wow. Okay. (laughs)
1: Oh, Jeff, I don't, you know, I don't know the end of the book until I write it. I have no idea. So, you know, sometimes in, in all my books, people say, you know, oh, I, you know, I, I, there was all that foreshadowing. I'm like, no, there wasn't, sister, because I had no idea what was going on. And so, I that's what gets me to the computer every day is that, you know, I, I, I wonder what's going to happen next. I can't wait to see what happens next. And when I, at the end, when people say, wow, the end, whatever book, at the end really surprised me. I say, yeah, how about that? You know, who'd have thought that would happen? It's it's a surprise ending every time for me in every single book I've ever written it's a surprise ending for me too you know Sue Grafton used to call that the magic and it is the magic you know that that somehow our somehow our brains come up with a story that you know a fraction of an instant before wasn't there and how does how does that happen I mean Jeff you know that feeling right The, the spark of the story comes from from where how do our writer brains work how does that even Happen, um, And I've often said, you know, if I could just have one good idea a day, that'd be plenty.
0: I, I keep all my ideas in the uh, storage facility. No.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. I had this um, – I, I had a moment the other day where I, I couldn't think of something, and I, I, I needed an idea, and I found a, um, a folder in my email. I just came upon a folder in my email that said book ideas so I thought oh great you know how smart of me I, I had prepared for this moment I had this folder of book ideas and I opened it and it was empty <laughs> <laughs> so much for so much for that I mean I guess it was there in case I ever had an idea but never did I'm
0: sorry <laughs> That's funny. but
1: you know you know you you just sort of trust the universe that at the moment that you need the idea that at the moment that you really need the idea that it will be presented to you um, and knock on wood or whatever you do so far so good with that um, it's you know some days I think wow I you know how do, whoever thought I could be a writer and then ten seconds later I have a good idea and I think wow this is this is the
0: best thing I've ever done
1: so it's always a balance it's always a juggle
0: well I'm curious why you decided to tell the story nonlinear see you
1: use this word decided the word decide why you decided and this is not in my can yeah this is not in my ken um decided it's the way the story needed to be told so if i had If it, I can't tell you why I decided to do a thing because i didn't it's just how it came to me, and then it made sense to me so there's the now of now does that make any sense and then there's the now of before so it's not like a big it's not like a flashback in any way it's here are Rachel Jack and Martha now, and then we know them, and then here are Rachel Jack and Martha. Before, here's what happened. Here's what their lives were before. Knowing that they don't know what's going to happen, that's the thing that fascinates me. You know, we were. I I take. I take the reader and myself back to what happened in their lives before, not in reminiscences and not in flashbacks, but just saying, okay, ladies and gentlemen, let's make a different a, a different present. And so we take them to a new present. So. I thought it was textured and revealing and makes the reader feel smart and makes the reader know more than the characters do. Um, which I, and I love that feeling, you know, as a reader, when a writer, when a writer reveals something to me that the character doesn't know through, um, you know through that dramatic irony of changing points of view and uh, through that dramatic irony of structure then more is revealed to me as the reader. Um, and I think that's really fun. I mean, I think that makes me, it makes me feel satisfied and like I'm reading something real.
0: Well, let's talk about point of view a second, because I'm seeing this more and more in crime fiction specifically, where you have a first person point of view, and then you jump to another character. And that might also be a, first person point of view or maybe a third person and when i was studying writing they always said oh you have to stick to one point of view and you know if you're doing first person it has to be that first person through the whole thing or it has to be third person through the whole thing so once again i'm guessing you're going to say you just this was the way to tell the story but well you know point of view
1: point of view i think point of view is the most important thing that any writer can ever understand um when I teach, I teach a lot of writing classes, and I see this in manuscripts so often. Um, how uh, how new writers just don't even grasp um, that you can only be in one person's head at a time. That you can only know what they know. You can only see what they see. You can only um, exist through the experiences of that person's life. You don't know what someone else is thinking, um, and. I would never, I, I I can't believe I'm saying this, I would never have two different points of view that were both first person. I think that that would be too confusing. I'm sure uh, there are writers who have pulled it off beautifully. Um, and I have set up some huge challenges for myself in my writing life. I don't think that would be one. But I think a first person point of view is very intimate. It's very close. You know, you're in their inner thoughts the the writer the, in the in the characters inner thoughts a third person point of view um is a little even if it's really close and and really tight it's a, a tiny bit farther away so a, a first person point of view is more vulnerable um you the, the reader feels like they're they are that person and then the third person point of view is just Are the other people who are powerful in the story and important and meaningful in this story um, but you're more connected I think to the first person and more distant from the third and if anybody doesn't understand what I'm talking about I get on board here you know I, I, I if, if I were listening to this I'd be thinking what the heck is she talking about um, but I but writers will get this you know it's a it's a really important powerful tool point of view and once a writer can make that be seamless, so the reader almost doesn't notice it that's when i think that's when I think it succeeds you have to well, it has to be i have to you know i, I tell people i tell students um, the the reader should forget that there's an author you know there is no author in this book there's only the the character's story that you are in so So using, you know, in the murder list, there's Rachel's point of view, Jack's and Martha's. Clearly marked. You know whose head you're in. There's no confusion. There's no complication. It's very straightforward. I write the book, I am am Rachel. And then in Martha's part, I am Martha. And then in Jack's part, I am Jack. And that's how the story comes together.
0: Didn't that work for you? Beautifully.
1: (laughs) Okay, good, 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 good. Love to hear it. Thank you
0: i was just curious why you didn't when you're doing jack and martha's points of view you also didn't do first person for them because who
1: if i say because if there are three people who call themselves i if jack refers to i as jack and martha refers to i as martha and and rachel refers to i as rachel that's totally confusing to me that would be totally confusing no matter what you did no matter uh, in my opinion no matter how many labels i put on the sections it would be confusing. So for the benefit of the reader and for the benefit of supreme clarity, the only I is Rachel and the other two are Jack and Martha. Um, and, and that would be... Thank you. And it was my goal is just, you know, my holy grail is to be clear because once it's not clear, then the reader's out of it. Um, and that is what I do not want to have happen. So I strive for that mightily in, um, in writing my books.
0: Um, you have gone with both Trust Me and Murder List with standalones. You used to write series. I'm wondering, was that a conscious decision to start just doing standalones? And do you have plans to go back to Jane Ryland at some point?
1: Um, again, you use this word conscious decision, Jeff. You know, I don't know where you I get these you- phrases. <laughs> <laughs> um when I had the idea for Trust Me it was such a perfectly formed forgive me if I say so a little jewel of an idea that it was too big to be a series book sort of um Jane Ryland who I love with her with her colleague Jake Brogan in in my first in the five Jane Ryland books it it just wasn't their story it couldn't be Jane's story someone else had to tell Someone else had to tell the story of Trust Me. It had to be completely different, completely different world, completely different characters, completely different tone and voice and sensibility and texture, completely different everything. It was all different. It was psychological. This wasn't a reporter, an investigative journalism story. This was a psychological suspense. This was psychological domestic suspense. And so it, it just wasn't the same. It just wasn't right for Jane. So when I – it was really um, – a uh, edu- an education for me to write a standalone because wow that is different from writing a series you know in a series you know in book five of the Jane Ryland books Jane is not going to die right because she's got to come back for book six so the so the suspense of a series You know, the difficulty for a series writer is that this is, or the challenge is that the suspense can't come from the fact that it's possible that the main character could die. That you know, they're just not going to. So that's what you have. So the so the suspense of a a series has to come from the adventure, from the story, from the plot, even even with the reader's full knowledge that 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 the main character is going to be okay in the end in the, in a in a standalone i soon began to realize that anything could happen you know um anyone could be lying anybody could be good anybody could be bad and anybody could die anybody can die so then you're like wow that that is that's a big deal because there you it's all on the table there is nothing left you're never going to see these people again and it's, that's a tremendous amount of power for an author. And for me, as a non-outliner, knowing that anything could happen is this crazy combination of freedom and terror. Because there are constraints, good and bad, of writing a series, but in a standalone, there aren't any. You know, in a standalone, you have to come up with a whole new story and whole new people and whole new motivations, and that's either fun or terrifying. And then anything could happen. When, I, when we were at Thriller Fest, remember the Thriller Fest year with George R.R. R. Martin? Um, and I went up to him and I said, oh, Mr. Martin, uh, I'm such a huge fan of yours. I think about you every night. And he's like, you do? And I, and I realized that I hadn't really said that very artfully. And what I meant was, and I said to him, you are so brave. You are so brave. You will do anything in your books. You will kill anybody. And I think about that sometimes when I'm writing my standalones now. What would George Martin do? You know, he'd do the thing that you least expect. And that's a big inspiration to me.
0: I was going to say, you don't finish your book. (laughs) Yeah.
1: No, don't even say that. Oh, so he will. Come on, he will. And I will, too, um, The God's willing.
0: Um, My last question for you, Hank, is where can readers find you?
1: Oh, my goodness, my book tour is coming up starting August the 20th, and it is crazy. It is completely crazy. So I would love to see everyone on book tour. My book is getting such good buzz and such acclaim, and I can't get over the Library Journal-starred review, and Robin Agnew loved it, and I'm on Tenderhooks waiting for other reviews, but my website, com, cleverly named, um, has all my events, and I'd love to see everyone. Find me on Facebook, and find me on Twitter, and find me on Instagram. Um, being with readers and meeting them, whether online or in real life, has been this unexpected joy. I mean, it is, I love the fabulous reviews, and it's, couldn't be better but when a real person comes up and says you know i love your book i could just see that i couldn't put it down i couldn't put turn the pages fast enough you know it just brings tears to my eyes um that's why we do this right um to tell to give people a great story so find me on tour and find me on facebook and twitter and instagram and uh all those places i i'm I'm on those social media networks far too much, aren't we all?
0: (laughs) Definitely. Well, your new book is The Murder List, and everyone listening, go get the book right away. It is amazing.
1: Thank
0: you. Thank you.
1: It's it's such a pleasure to talk with you about The Murder List and about everything. I'm so excited about it, Um, and I'm so pleased to be here. Thank you for inviting me.